Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the voice of Yamato. Spoken by Yamato. Uh, the topics we're going to be covering today is uh, Peanut versus Canyon. Did Peanut get astro gapped? Or was it just, uh, you know, first uh, impressions of the series? We're going to be talking about the LEC format. We're going to be talking about K Corp and other interesting uh, movements in, uh, uh, of course, um, this offseason so far. Yankos, EG. We're also finally going to be talking about this uh, LEC $16 uh, thing that uh, a Korean podcast apparently did. It was pretty highly upvoted on Reddit. So we're going to uh, take a look and maybe a budget for our own team or something like that. Uh, and uh, that's it for today. Uh, there's no news on uh, what's going on with me or Fnatic. So you guys can uh, put that uh, aside. We're still very early on in the offseason. Uh, if you hear any news, you probably won't hear it first from me. So, I, I have no interest in, um, you know, wagging my, uh, I wanted to call it eye penis, basically informa information penis. Uh, people see e-penis. I should stop saying penis. Point is, I have information. I don't have a purpose or feel the need to to flex with that information uh, let's just uh, uh, focus on uh, the topics at hand so a big conversation a big piece of uh, uh, you know meat that everyone chewed into what peanut was peanut versus canyon and I have mixed opinions about this you know because you know how how big of a gap there was there is obviously uh, subjective I think that um, in terms of Canyon and his performance, uh, you know, there were moments where he could have done slightly better, but there were so many moments where he overperformed, so it's very hard to ask for more. Uh, for example, in game one, he could have flashed under an Ecton. There was a smite where he threw it at Nar. Maybe if he smote the Nash, it would have been very different. I think, generally speaking, Damwon outperformed Genji in that series, especially if you look at the games that Damwon threw. Sure, it is easy to say, you know, in hindsight, talk about, you know, oh, they could have, should have, would have, but it's more about the fact that they put themselves in positions that, uh, uh, of course, required Damwon to make mistakes to, to throw away their position. I think that's always the difference when you think about uh, performance and you don't uh, necessarily connect it to the result. You think about game one, the tower dive on bottom uh, into the poor fight where no one cancelled the misfortune note and Sandra walked back into it. Uh, you have game two where if they didn't start this random Nasher over and over again with the Wukong getting chunked, maybe the game would have looked different, right? But Genji won fair and square, they held out and they played out the scenarios given to them. It's like a, you know, hands in poker, you know? It's like if, if you're only playing five hands of poker and you play them to the best of your ability, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, the probability and the hand that you're dealt with in that particular game, maybe you don't play it out uh, correctly in the context of your opposition. Of course, poker is a game which is a little bit more uh, RNG heavy than, than League of Legends, but you get the point, right? Uh, Genji managed to play their hand uh, properly that made them walk away from the series. 
But back to the initial conversation at hand, we were talking about Pina versus Canyon. I think in the first game, I think it's fair to say uh, that Canyon had a very good performance. He pressured uh, with a jungler that is very good at invading. He found, uh, of course, a situation where he, you know, uh, went uh, over the wall. Maybe we could just pull it up uh, to, to make it easy for uh, uh, the viewership. Uh, let's just pull it up. Let me pull it up. Uh, maybe we just do that. And we change this into... Can't find the YouTube window for some reason. There it is. We look at Genji versus Damwon. Game one. Yo. Oh, this is uh, very late into the game. So this particular game, right? Keep in mind, right? He's playing Maokai into into Kane, and that is inherently a very difficult matchup. Uh, what Canyon did in this game was quite brilliant, where he dodged uh, everyone's opinion, uh, um, not opinion, position. He also dodged everyone's opinion too. Uh, let's say uh, Maokai really doesn't like him, and he dodged that opinion. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we continue. Canyon dodged the ward right. Peanut was, in fact, trying to do Raptor into topside to slow down his clear just to make sure that, uh, you know, he gets all of his camps. He's trying to, even though this is not the most efficient clear, he's trying to hide this pathing and uh, create scenarios where, uh, of course, he just secures his camps. Because if Malka manages to secure his camp, that's a big win for, for of course, um, for, of course, Canyon. Uh, here, uh, we had the situation where I think Canyon played brilliantly, right, in this game. I think this game, fair and square, even though Peanut is in a very tough matchup, what Canyon did here was very brilliant. Very good that he walks away from the blue right because he already leashed uh, uh, the Elius Smite on uh, on the Gromp, so he doesn't want to be put in a situation where there's a 50-50 around blue. What he could have done is uh, stick around and uh, just, uh, you know, fuck with him, but uh, Canyon got uh, two camps already and he wants to make sure that his own camps reset. So it's always a question of, you know, do you want to stick around and harass him on the blue? But it won't really matter because you need to make sure that you clear your own camps to be put in a position where they respawn and you can get uh, that uh, bigger XP that you get when they spawn later in the game. This was the first initial uh, mark right here where he should have uh, gotten the kill on Renekton. And then Malka had free entry into his, into his top side off of this. Another thing that this, of course... Um, uh, you know, with the ward that uh, Damon's bot lane placed, he spots the Maokai cross here, uh, he sees him on the ward, gets pinged out, and uh, there is no option for Kane to cross here because Ryze has uh, full uh, mid-prior and uh, Yumi and Misfortune also have full prior bot. So Kane, of course, does the, the right decision here to stay for the respawn. Four minute mark, you have the wolf respawn, and then right after you have the Gromp respawn too. As we mentioned before, these these respawning of camps are very strong uh, because uh, they grant more XP than before. So still, Canyon is playing a brilliant game. Uh, we had the situation later where there was another gank on top, and then we had the Rift Herald situation. You know, this this is kind of a price that you pay from before. No good, no flash. Uh, Peanut, uh, you know, still no base. So Canyon has a big tempo advantage. But all in all, I would say that Canyon played a brilliant game. And I think uh, Maokai, considering, you know, the level one, I don't think he could have done 
super much more. You know, the only conversation that I potentially had was that after Raptors he could have base and then rush into top, uh, rather than uh, going into top uh, straight off the bat. And then of course as well, even though I'm saying the Woodyburn flash before, uh, like here the wave the wave was indeed bouncing at one point, but Nuguri kept hitting it. So here the wave is kind of bouncing. I think the wave is kind of bouncing. You can leave leave it to it. And Maokai should have based and rushed straight into top, and that's maybe one argument. And then you had moves like this where where Canyon, uh, of course, did the, the the herald, and this was the most psychopath herald ever. This is also a very good play, right? Uh, from before, you deny the wolves, you deny the gromp, you put yourself in a position where uh, the enemy team, uh, like the enemy Maokai, is not going to be level 6 due to just how the camps worked and the peanut uh, clearing a lot of level 1 camps and only getting raptors and then looking for 6 off of this. So this was also very good from Canyon, maintaining that pressure. You know, often the rule that you... that the, the, What you try to achieve when you're invading and you're taking camps from the enemy is that you're trying to reinvade because you need to clear the, their second spawn of camps because usually if the enemy started on the other side you have camps spawning at the same time like in this game you had raptors and wolves spawning at the same time you look to punish by invading one side and making sure that you can maintain that momentum and then around seven minute mark you want to try to uh, contest uh, the buff that uh, that spawns uh, uh, first right so here in this case peanut is going all in i mean canyon is going all in of course canyon is playing brilliantly uh, and, and and that's about it you know you could argue maybe that Peanut should have, uh, you know, taken his respawn of Raptors, stolen mid XP to make sure that he is a level six, and they could have played around this better. Uh, but uh, Damwon uh, did a very good uh, job of, of invading this, and then that the Herald is just psychopath. So game one, my evaluation: Canyon played a brilliant game. I think there was not a lot of room for Maokai to to play much better. He had the cane into the Maokai. Uh, Canyon played really, really insane and 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 really overperformed. Uh, game two, uh, we had the game where uh, plain and simple, uh, even though Canyon played a really good game, you know, uh, another thing to highlight, even though I'm rushing rushing through this and I'm rather quick in this conversation, uh, something that was the most impressive about what Canyon did was his maintaining, like the way he's maintaining pressure throughout the game. Like throughout the game, he is constantly pressing and his distance control so to so this this concept of distance control is being aware of how quickly both your teammates and your enemies can come to you and then playing on the edge of that in order to 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 press and to achieve more in your matchup obviously if the enemy mid laner has prior he's not going to teleport to your location so you can view based off of his move speed and his champion how quickly he can get there and then you can play around with some seconds right let's say you're all inning on bot because you see the enemy jungler on mid but he's going into bot side river it means you have around 10 seconds to to make sure that the fight that happens and then that you exit right and sometimes those 10 seconds can be a difference maker in terms of finding opportunities and this is something that canyon did beautifully well I, I i haven't seen a jungler do it as well as canyon uh, has done uh, ever so in this game right uh showmaker didn't place uh, a ward on top side so basically he placed he placed the ward on top side sorry uh, but he placed it so early so we're gonna go back so his ward was placed very early it's already running out right and usually what occurs is that you place your ward kind of late to make sure that you're safe on one side 
and then as your jungler crosses he can place a ward, replace a ward for you by the time this uh, ward runs out but this ward was placed very early and this turns into a problem uh, peanut uh, is playing around this ward i don't remember i don't know if they have information on this ward being placed or not not entirely sure uh, but peanut is doing three topside camps into a mid gank uh, and that's it and that's it we have good good q flash and in this game you know, Canyon is not playing a jungle matchup that is meant to be pressing the enemy jungler, right? And this is where Peanut is in his element, right? Peanut is very good when he gets to clear his camps because he's playing mostly those supportive champions. Uh, but then again, uh, Sejuani is one of the strongest junglers on the patch. Canyon does a very nice job of chunking him and looking to punish to make sure that he can reinvade into bot side. He has a bot lane this time around. Lushanami does have prior, and uh, Misfortune and Yumi are getting pressed, and and Canyon is fighting around this area. Even here, right? You could argue, like like here, he's 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 using that space that I mentioned before very very well. Canyon is in a position here where he is pulling attention away from the Yon. He's not on the wave. Yon didn't get to base, and Peanut is uh, is just uh, you know receiving help. Here, Chobi, like he needed to base. You know, they killed Azir. He didn't get to base. He still has a kill gold, and he pulled away attention from him. And he knew that if Yon is going to commit into here, he's just wasting so much time. So here, once again, Canyon is playing a brilliant game. And I would say that Canyon is performing better uh, than Peanut and really pushing the limits of such a matchup. And then finally, uh, the gank on the bottom side was very, very good. Another good example of, of that uh, discipline in terms of understanding uh, positioning and understanding lanes uh, like this game, Lehens used W twice, gets bubbled, but doesn't matter that he gets bubbled or not here. He doesn't have W on cooldown, so he can't get away from Misfortune. This is very good. The wave is freezing for Lucian. This is very rough uh, for, for Misfortune. They tried to push out. They read it like a book, and they got the kill. Very nice. Uh, something that I wanted to highlight, we will see it in the second head-out situation, uh, which was um, also good. It just... Here, the, the awareness of, of Canyon to, 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 to trade actively uh, with the Seju uh, around his Divine Sanderer, keeping his Conqueror stacks. He is healing up with, of course, Red Buff. Playing in this pocket. Has his Iron Skin stacks, his Conqueror stacks, you know, he kept them alive and well. Uh, just, just small nuances like that are some the things that Canyon does so, so well. Uh, nevertheless. Uh, we continue. Game 3. I think Game 3 uh, was probably uh, the best game from Peanut's side, if you look at the early game. Because Peanut pulled a little uh, wonder move uh, on this on, on him uh, in this particular case. Where, first and foremost, them trying to late invade is insanity. Um, late invading when you have Poppy, Nami, Lucian into Lulu, Aphelios, Viego. Uh, first and foremost, usually when you're the one invading, you're going to be at a disadvantage um, because you're fair checking and the enemy most of the time can play in a way where uh, they optimize their position in terms uh, against the champions that you move on. So usually if you're going for such an invade, you want to create a, a very polarizing, uh, you know, you want to have... You want to be strong enough that it's polarizing in your direction in terms of how uh, much stronger you are level one. But nevertheless, uh, we continue. 
this uh, occurs and he loses a lot of time and then Canyon activates his Mega Mind right away. He knows that, okay, I'm going to uh, look to, to press my advantage. Um, uh, Peanut tries to create a clear uh, that puts him in a spot where, uh, of course, he is going to, um, you know, just clear his camps in a way that protects him from any potential invades. But Canyon reads it very well. Uh, he spots the wolves are alive and just starts to leash them. Uh, like this is uh, insane <laughs> that he manages to find the fact that wolves are alive. This is not something that most junglers would uh, look to do, but he's checking wolves. Even in a case where wolves would be dead, it would still give him a lot of information about what uh, Poppy decided to do. In a case where Poppy did blue into Gromp, then she would actually be on wolves doing them, right? Based off of how slow she was. That's at least my estimation. He does the wolves, Peanut comes down, and then here Peanut has the issue that he is not uh, level 3. Uh, he didn't do Gromp in his clear, so he's not level 3, but he's very close to level 3, because he took one little puppy, one little puppy, raptors, blue and red. So he's missing very little XP. And Peanut uh, plays around this super super well, he goes into this pocket here, gets some XP from bottom side, gets level 3, and Canyon assumes now that he pushed because because Peanut is not doing the Gromp. He's assuming Peanut went topside, went for Golems, and went uh, towards Crab. But what Peanut does so brilliantly here is that he takes XP on bottom side, hides away from Canyon's uh, uh, position, and then knocks him into the wall, and now he is in deep trouble. Tries to run away from the Lucian Nami, but it's just a no-go, and this was uh, a very good game from Peanut. Very nice. Very nice. So even though, you know, if you continue on in this game, I think this was a lovely per performance from, from, from Peanut here to, to, to outplay the situation. At game four, I think this was probably uh, the most um, significant gap in terms of just pure play, uh, because I don't think that the jungle matchup is that heavily favored for Viego in this. I would sometimes say the Sejuani is better off into, into Viego. The tanky champion that can trade well and, uh, you know, uh, of course later on Viego gets items and so forth. He's going to trade, uh, uh, you know, do, do very well into Sejuani. But I don't think this is as polarizing as playing, for example, Maokai against uh, Kane. Seju is considered a strong jungler on this patch uh, just because of how she can fight the rune choices she can have, the synergy she has with a lot of the solo laners, and also, of course, uh, just uh, her, her clear speed. Maybe I mentioned that. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, this was the, the most beautiful game in my mind when it comes to, to, uh, to, to Canyon's play, because there is some insane... So here Canyon gets spotted on the world. Okay? This is where the sequence starts. He gets spotted. Uh... He sees the world here. Thank you very much, Matsu the Cat, uh, for the Prime. He sees the world here and decides to step into the jungle. So here at this point, Peanut thinks either he, the Viego will walk around and invade my Gromp. So I will play around it by pulling the Gromp upwards. Or the Viego went back to clear his camps after I placed the world. There's only two options, right? Because of course this is warded, so Viego can't walk like that. So as this continues... Canyon's still not spotted. 
he's checking here and most junglers here would look to go for the 50-50 and uh, look to take the Gromp but Canyon extends this right he extends this uh, he gets smited away uh, Canyon first stays in this bush because Peanut has three options either he's going to walk like that into the crab area right and then Viego will fight him W out of the bush and stack conqueror and start fighting or Peanut will queue over the wall here and trap and wait for the next queue and then gank the Renekton that is currently very low HP. Or he will go behind the Nar. So going behind the Nar is very unlikely because it doesn't make a lot of sense. The most important thing is that this wave doesn't crash, right? He could go behind the Nar if he is afraid of the vehicle, right? He thinks he's weaker and can't go through river. He could go behind the Nar, just QW into the lane uh, and then Renekton uh, will like be forced to back off. But I don't think there's going to be any like kill pressure. So Canyon waits here still, sees that there's no fascia going on, goes around the corner because he is, he thinks that maybe Seju can queue over the wall, right? The queue comes, right? And we're in a spot where Peanut is in a, in a very dangerous position, right? Here he has a stacked Fury. There's no no direction that Sejuani can flash being safe. But then again, it's like, can I blame Peanut for this situation the way it played out? where Canyon played very brilliantly, right? And uh, and uh, I think a lot of junglers would fall for this. <laughs> That's the thing. I think a lot of junglers would fall for this. Because Pina's decision-making makes sense, you know? It isn't completely crazy. And then this turned into a game winner, right? And then we have the game five, where we had... Where I felt, what I remember watching, where I felt like this was the game where Peanut was the most lost. So here once again, can can you very brilliantly with the, with the distance uh, control? Main thing here is that uh, you know, Canyon still has Smite. He stole away the red, he stole away the, the raptors, and Pina did blue wolves, and then walked down. And then here uh, we have a contestion of the golems, of course. Very nice again from Canyon, like the, the distance control he has, and Skilly Key on level 2. It's a very beautiful play. And once again, the, the same thing plays out, right? That you need to make sure that you inv invade the next spawning of camps. Canyon is already there. He knows that if he loses these wolves, all of his work, I mean, if he loses these raptors, all of that hard work is is, is for nothing. And uh, Peanut just needs to go topside in order to, uh, of course, uh, secure uh, level 3. Like, he needs to stay busy somehow. Right? He does Gromp. And uh, you know already Canyon can count the time it takes for Sejuani to do Crab and Gromp. She's not going to be on time on here. And at the same time, uh, you have a situation on mid where Showmaker managed to base first, right? He managed to base first. This is something that Showmaker does very well. He based first in this matchup, and uh, Victor now needs to base, so Canyon can invade this very freely. And not right now. Jacob? Yeah? Do you want to go outside? Uh, we could, but I just want to finish uh, my, my episode, okay? Hello? Uh, I need like uh, 30, 40 minutes. I'll do one game. You can, yeah. Okay, so we continue. This was beautifully played, but once again, what, what options did, did, did Peanut have here, right? 
you know the main thing comes down to could they have defended their jungle level one you know that's the main question uh, but uh, Kane uh, avoided the wards again and just started uh, uh, just uh, went around and did, did the raptors this is just uh, a Kane masterclass you know very very well played and uh, you know the only thing it comes down to what Genji could have potentially done is uh, maybe they needed to place the wars different because this happened in game one and then this is a repeat of what happened in game one yeah and here peanut is going he's thinking finally i get to do my camps and uh, and that's it even yamara got invaded by canon yeah So we do got is gonna check finally the, the red buff invade. Ashomaker is uh his his lane is of course in tune with what's going on. The golems get taken, the red buff gets taken, and uh Peanut is not on time here. But uh, Cinderella is basing in fog of war, right? Like Cinder is basing in fog here, so it's very awkward for Sidra to even enter this, right? Like, uh, Syndra could be hovering, could be basing. Like, she just needs to be in proximity of Kane. And uh, as a principled move, most of the time here, going into your red is just dangerous, you know? But the main thing is, Peanut needs to um, also consider that um, his bot lane uh, can potentially, like, get harassed and dove under the turret if Canyon reaches level 6, right? So, it's not like he can completely abandon his bot site. So, I don't think Peanut played as bad as a lot of people made, made it out to be, you know, to, to, to summarize this discussion. I don't think he played as bad as... Uh, oh, that's a timer. That's, that's, I'm just going to remove that. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I don't think Peanut played as bad as people made it out to be. I think a lot of the things that happened to Peanut are things that uh, a lot of people would fall for. I think uh, plenty of things came down to uh, strong team play and understanding of Kane, because I think you need to take more risks in terms of how you place wards and, and do it in a more unorthodox fashion, so you can defend your camps from the Kane uh, completely taking over the game. And... Um, uh, we have some um, we have some questions in the chat about uh, the the Kane transformation. Well, the thing is, Kane was just a terrible pick in this game, right? It was just sadly a terrible pick. Uh, picking Kane here, like the only option is that you like you you're playing Kane into four range champs, and he looked to play like he's you're still looking to play red Kane, and that was just not good, right? Um, early on, if you trade with the Kane, you're not giving him you know that much um uh, that much orbs uh, later on in the game uh, it definitely was true that that canyon was was struggling but in in my mind i think kane was just a terrible champ to play in in such a game and this was canyon's hope to to overperform and um 
and 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 do more than than possible and honestly he did right he kept this game alive with the craziest qw uh like craziest w ever right trying to find it i think it was earlier sorry Look at this. Look at the cane on the flank. Shadoosh. Like this is his, his champ <laughs> to, to find any uh, play in such a game is, is, is crazy. And I thought this was the big comeback, right? It definitely looked like it. No idea how Noguri died. Like, it's such a big deal here. Uh, like, like, Noguri just dying. Uh, but nevertheless. I, I, I think Peanut played a fine series. You know, it's not super easy to play uh, Maokai into Kane. Uh, two of the Kane games, he got invaded. And there was a Syndra supporting him uh, on crucial timings. On the Raptor respawn, on the Red respawn. Uh, and then he secured the Rift Herald for himself. I think Peanut played a good game 3, where he did the little move, where he took level 3 from bottom side. I think that was pretty clever. I think that uh, the game uh, between Sejuani and Wukong, Sejuani got the level 3 gank mid, but this is of course team gap. Um, there's many things that, that matter in terms of how you play on the team. I, I, I think if, if anything, something that, that Canyon, uh, not if anything, like Canyon definitely did this insane was when whenever there was fight in jungles, he he was so good at that tethering his movement to the information available, and um, I think Canyon played insanely well. In my mind, Canyon is 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 the jungle goat, but I don't think uh, that it was as extreme as, for example, Zeka uh, versus um, Scout. In terms of like collapse and uh, and and like a turbo fisting, you know. In terms of the outcome and output, Canyon was really really insane. But looking at what Peanut could have done better, for me, the most important thing was in those cane games to to find situations where, uh, you know, uh, where not not situations but words that would actually spot these angles that Kane was playing around. Well, that's you know also one of those things in hindsight you know if we walked into a game this is not something that i would think about before watching this series to tell my jungler uh you know if if, if this was an opportunity uh, like a potential thing canyon has played some uh cane in solo queue um it's something that our dominate told me and he has watched a lot of his games uh, but all in all you know i uh was very impressed with Canyon's performance, but I think Peanut was very serviceable and, uh, you know, did, did fine, I would say. And next conversation at hand, the, the next topic that we should cover is the LSE format. So, the LSE format is an interesting pickle. Let's, let's pull it out like this. So, the LSE format. So first and foremost, right? Do people know what a GSL format is, right? Does people do people know what a GSL format is? 
I will explain to you guys what a GSL format is. Um, so you're going to have one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Let's say, uh, let's say one plays against eight, okay? Two plays against seven, three against uh, six, and four against five, okay? Let's say team one wins, they continue on in the upper bracket, right? The one zero part of it, okay? Let's say the two wins, they also go here. Three wins, they also go here, and, and four wins. Let's say these, these all teams are one zero now. And then you have a one zero side, which is the lower bracket, and they go, all of these teams go into a, a different bracket, the zero one bracket, okay? The continuation here will be that the zero one teams will then play against each other. Some teams will go to uh, the zero two, which in most cases means that they are out. Zero two, let's say the eighth place team and the seventh place team went here, and then you have one one, right? So let's say the sixth team uh, beat the seventh team and fifth team beat the eighth team. They all won one. There's two zero up here, which is the 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 winner the winner, right? The 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 juicers. Uh, you have. Uh, the first place team, they are 2-0 now. They beat their opposition in the fourth place team. And uh, the, the second seed team went 2-0, right? That means that the three and four are now 1-1 one, one, and they go into the 1-1 one, one bracket. Now you're going to have teams that are 1-2 and you're going to have teams that are 2-1 and then you're going to have a single team that is 3-0, right? So at this point, we have one team that's 3-0, because there's only two teams in the 2-0 bracket. There was team 1 and team 2. And then you have, let's say, the first place team is going there. And then you have, um, basically, you have 1-2s, uh, because we had some 1-1s one battle it out, and we had some 2-1s. So we have 1-2-1 one, one coming from here, and, um, and that's how, how it works, right? Usually you have two lives. If you lose, lose two best of threes, you're out. Uh, that's the idea of it. And then finally, uh, based off of who is in the top four, the top four, in the, go into a BO5 double limb bracket. So business as usual. So the main thing, right, main thing that people are excited about is in terms of uh, scheduling where where people uh, are excited. It's like, wow, if, if LAC is changing this, uh, we are going to be in... This means that the global landscape is going to change too. I don't think so. I don't think that the LEC would get ahead of this and be the thing that changes first if the, the, the landscape is changing globally. Unless there's information there about the Korean League and the LCS and the LPL changing uh, that is not leaked yet, then it changes everything, right? But all in all, let's say this is, this is, this is the full calendar year, okay? This is the full calendar year. This is... Uh, uh, wait, why am I doing a square? Let's say this is World Finals. This is uh, the start, okay? So now what we have is something like this, right? This is spring, 
and this is summer. Right? We we have some version of this, right? Simply put, this is this is the calendar, and and people are excited. Like, wow, there's going to be three splits. We are, we're going to be changing everything. But in reality, how it's going to be, like if you want to make it make it make sense in the that same calendar situation where MSI is being played and World Finals is over here. What's going to happen is you're going to have two splits before MSI. This is split one, this is split two. The break there is going to be very limited. You're going to pl playing, uh, uh, this is BO1, this is going to be BO3, and this is going to be BO5, and then the same thing here on repeat. One, three, five, into MSI. Then there's going to be the, the third split. Right? Third split. One, two, uh, three, five. Third split. You have best of one, best of three, best of five. And then finally you have the big playoffs. Qualification for world. This is the main thing. Right? This is going to be the BO5s that qualify teams to the world. I thank you Brody for the raid. Uh, so we will have three champions per year. Yes. So in my mind, you know, this is exciting from a competitive standpoint. It's going to keep things very fresh. I personally hate best of ones. And something that I hate more than best of ones are super weeks. Right? So the first weeks, we're going to play one, like, basically, one, two, three. This is going to be Friday, Saturday... Sunday, like these super weeks suck ass from preparation standpoint. They are very tiring, very exhausting. I will have to think how to solve that problem, all right? Uh, like how to not, like not be fatigued here in this phase. The BO3s are super exciting, all right? You get to play four bo3s i believe three bo3s maybe four in some cases right um all in all uh, i don't i'm not super big fan of the b1 super weeks uh but i'm a big fan of playing more bo3s and more bo5s so let's say, theoretically, if you play the most amount of games possible, how it would look like. Right? So this is, this is just a calendar year. I don't think we're going to be in a situation where uh, we are going to see much difference in the global League of Legends uh, calendar year. I think we will have our MSI, we will have our World Finals. But this does open up some flexibility. So I'm hoping that it is explored. Right. Do you think B1 single round rob is going to make people cry about side selections? Yeah, people will. People definitely will. But everything will be a coin flip. Every time it will be a coin flip.
let's let's have a look at uh, like the max potential games. So we have nine games, okay, and then let's say all best of threes go to to three games that you play. You can play. I believe there's a situation where you can play four BO3s. This is my, my guess. Okay, so four times two, we have 12 games. And then BO5s, double elimination, uh, with a four team bracket. So we have a situation. I didn't eat breakfast yet, so. I'm a bit uh, fishy here on my math. So let's say best case, best case scenario, you lose the first best of five. Five games, five games, five games, five games. So you have a situation where you can play a total of 20 plus 12 plus 9, a grand total of 41 games in the best case scenario. 41 games. Forty one games. Forty one <laughs> times three. We have 123. 123. And this doesn't count the, the grand final uh, BO fights, right? The, the grand finale base of fives. Basically, I, I don't understand if it's going to be top six or top eight, that best of that, that, that bracket. But let's, let's say in a world where you have six teams you can play twenty-five games. We have six games teams, twenty-five games. So in a best case scenario, you can play a hundred and forty-eight games. Best case scenario, one hundred and forty-eight games. And that's very like like the odds of that happening is like next to impossible. Right? It's almost impossible. In the current calendar year, you have 18 games. 18. <laughs> That's the regular split. <laughs> Kick W. <laughs> okay, so that's the, that's the regular split. Uh, regular split, we have 36. 
playoffs you can play 25 maximum yeah like let's say you start in the lower bracket right five then you have to beat the fourth then you have to beat the third then you have to beat the second then you have to beat the first five five just so you guys follow along, okay? Being forced to play these five games is uh, it's a commonality for me at this point, okay? It's like um, last year, okay? Last year when we played BO5s, so we played 18 games in the regular season with Bwipo in the jungle and Adam and so forth, etc. We played 18 regular season games. First best of five against Vitality, went to five games. Second best of five against Misfit, went to five games. Best of five against G2, went to five games. <laughs> Rogue, 3-0. We 3-0 them. Mad, 4-1. Four games. So we played a grand total of 22 games in playoffs. Playoffs took four weeks. Well, if you count only play, then it's three. Three weeks. Basically, we played VIT in the first week. This in the second week. And then this in the last week. Okay. So in three weeks, and this is over the span of eight weeks. Okay. So do I like the new format? Yes. Almost anything is an upgrade from this format. Let's be fucking honest. Okay. This this current format was garbage. Best of ones is garbage for competitive integrity. Anyone that is competitive hates BO ones. You know. It is very unrewarding and doesn't train, it doesn't push you to train the right attributes. Okay, what's the new format? We just went through it, so you just have to look at the VOD or something else like that. Okay, we just went through it, but the gist of it is three weeks of best of ones into GSL format best of threes into top four, basically, top eight from the BO1s uh, goes to, of course. Uh, Top 8 goes to BO3s in the GSL format and then uh, top 4 in the GSL format go to a best of 5 uh, playoff bracket and you have 3 splits like that. Uh, no worries, no worries. I can't expect everyone to be watching the entire time. What do you think about the DK Viper rumors? I think uh, we might have created those rumors. It's like... I was saying that Viper should go to Damwon on I Will Dominate stream and we were talking about it and we were thinking that it's a good idea. I'm worried that we are the ones who created that rumor. <laughs> that would have been pretty funny if we created those rumors. But yeah, of course, uh, Canyon Showmaker and uh, uh, Canyon Showmaker just deserve the absolute best, you know, so God bless them. And so to give you guys my opinion about this, um, this format, uh, I am very excited. Uh, very excited for it. it. It will be very tiring, right? Because it will be two splits after one another. And let's say 
like in this calendar year that I built out, if it's going to be like this. So this is EU finals. This is split three, two, one. We separate it into five, three, one. One, three, five. One, three, five. Bro, if I'm if I'm playing the finals here. If I'm playing the finals here, the time here to recover is going to be essential for my team. If we play the final in split one and we are first place. Who is going to MSI? Probably the winner of Split 2. Keep in mind, I'm only speculating here, Jungle God. I'm only speculating how it would look like. If I'm playing the final here, and I have like a week break here, and I have to play best of ones, woo! That's going to be tiring, my friends. Uh, happy chime noises. Uh, to to answer your question, um, he asks, "Do you think best of three should be ever used in playoffs?" Uh, the thing is, the more games, the more accurate which team is better. Uh, the tricky thing is, right, is it, it becomes more accurate, but there is a, a point of diminishing returns because fatigue begins to hit. Right. I, I believe best of fives is like the the good balance in between. In an ideal world, if I could simulate something, I would do it countless amount of times in order to truly know who is the best team right but the issue is if you begin to play best of sevens uh like you you might just uh, you know run into levels of fatigue that will be crazy what is this fourth split that you put before worlds now this is the split where all of all the performances from these three splits will be accumulated to create another bracket right let's say i win split one and i win split two and then split three we completely bomb because in split three yamato cannon refuses to ban yumi okay he refused to ban yumi and split three we are not even in top eight then still our effort in in one and two needs to be celebrated and you make a seat there Okay. So that's 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 what it is. So this is going to be the last like tournament to qualify for worlds. Okay. I love the format. I'm excited for the changes. My only concern is here. If I'm in the finalist team here, the team that is the two teams that are in the finals here and then they're going to jump into the next split right away, that's that's tiring. That's going to be cruel. Very rough, very rough indeed. Uh, so I hope I have covered my thoughts uh, surrounding this playoff system. I love best of threes. I had so much fun at doing best of threes. The only thing that was shit, I, I, I really also like that this is like a pseudo relegation system, right? But at the same time, it's cruel because it's BO1s. 
So it's three weeks of BO1s that is going to decide the faith of the next month for you, right? That is going to be a bit nutty, right? Best of ones. And you have, you have some teams that start out slow, like some teams start off fucking slow. You have Vitality start off, started off slow, like they, they had rough, rough patches. There's been years when Fnatic has started off slow. There's been times when G2 started slow, right? And then all of a sudden, that slow start is going to be so fucking punishing. And we know already that LAC is going to start 20th of January. And I'm going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that whatever team I'm working with is ready to perform on day one. It's also important. And uh, there is definitely things that you need to adjust to uh, competitively. And then the final thing that is ever on everyone's mind. Will this help breach the gap between the West and the East? And I'm going to say, um, <laughs> I think this is helpful, but I don't think this is going to turn into turn teams into into machines. Uh this this is not going to uh, create this this is not going to be a situation where uh, you know all of a sudden the western teams are going to be insane no this is this is just one small thing that could be improved there's too there's so many things culturally in terms of player base in terms of you know the standard in terms of the practice in terms of you know um just Culturally, there's a lot of things in place already for most uh, for Koreans uh, that is so beneficial in a team setting, you know, and uh, that goes such a long way, you know, trying to, you, you have to use and invest time to, to implement that in, in your teams. And um, that makes it difficult too. Uh, coaching too, yeah. Do you have some coaching legends over in Korea? I have uh, no shame in admitting that, you know. There was a reason why I wanted to go to Korea very badly, you know. It's still to compete against the best. EU needs a champion's queue? Yeah, it does. You you, you made a cup of face. Um, but it's very true. It is very true. Bro, if, if Europe had champion's queue with good ping and the same incentives as in North America... These guys get paid to play Champions Queue. That's insanity, dude. You drizzle a bit of that in Europe? Yes, yes. Yankos leaked it's coming? Okay. Well, if Yankos leaked it's coming, then I can also say it's coming. It's fucking coming and it's exciting. Because imagine, you just put ERLs, ERL players. You don't have to invite solo key players. Fuck them kids. You know? ERL players, LAC players... Finito, bueno, bonito. Very nice. Very nice. ERL players, LEC players. I don't want to see Division 2 players. They can have their own Champions queue. Put them in Tier 2. We don't need that. They can play in solo queue. We don't need that. Champions queue. ERL players, LEC players, and imagine, woo finally people will get to see EU Masters versus LEC. That is going to be very pokchampik. Very nice indeed.
Okay. What are some other topics we can cover? Uh, K Corp. K Corp. I am very sad that K Corp is uh, not uh, joining the LEC. I think it would have benefited the ecosystem. I think it would have benefited all of us. I think K Corp as an organization have managed to uh, create something uh, magnificent. You know, a lot of people judge K Corp based off of some uh, loud uh, outliers uh, on on Twitter and so forth. The the fandom is quite uh, um, quite crazy, you know. But this is just the fringes, you know. You can say the same for Fnatic fans or G two fans. You know, the people that the loud the loud minority is 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 quite crazy. It's just a an additional. Uh, an additional layer of annoyance when you have to press the translate button on, on Twitter. And then it's like poorly translated and and it's like, uh, boom. Well, K-Corp joining the league would have been very beneficial for the league, beneficial for the players involved, and would have been very beneficial, of course, for K-Corp. So I'm very sad that they are not coming in uh, because I think the later and later you dwell into this, if you are hopeful about the LEC product, if it didn't happen this year, I think uh, that uh, next year will be even harder. Because if you believe in the success of LEC, especially with the coming format changes and the introduction of Koi, Team Heretics, the viewership is going to boom, the value is going to boom. So I understand Astralis, if I'm Astralis, I'm not selling. Why would I sell? This year, the value of my slot is going to go up. It will. It will go up. So K Corp, what they got to do is they have to hope that the LEC expands. That is the, the hopium they need to work with. But I don't know, man. They just changed the format. I don't know if they have the, <laughs> you know, if they fucking can be asked with changing the format again. So Astralis, their slot is going to go up in price this year because the viewership will go up. Wouldn't this new format work really well for 12 teams? Maybe. I'm not so sure. Not so sure. Uh, to speak about K-Corp as well, Cabochard. You know, Kabushart, I think, I think Wunder has been, uh, like, Wunder is, is the top laner to have on your team. But I think Kabushart is definitely up there. I think, I think, if you think about the, the, the three top laners, Kabo, Wunder, Oduamne, those are the guys that you want on your team. Some people might ask me, why not Broken Blade? A Broken Blade, I think he's just below these three guys in terms of you know being able to to find themselves within every meta and uh, you know adapt themselves to whichever players they are playing with you know and i think that's crucial broken blade is a very unique player and works in a very specific uh, situation and i think he has expanded on that in this year for sure he has definitely uh, expanded on that in this year but all in all, I think the other three are, are quite more flexible. And I think Kabo Shah belongs in the LEC, baby. I love me some Kabo Boo. 
And then, of course, uh, you know, in the context of this, like people were talking about, yeah, Astralis, bottom feeders, you know, the, the, the system change is going to fuck them up. Guys, Astralis was not the, the weakest team in the LEC. I, I don't know why people talk like Astralis was was the was the 10th place team. That that to me is very strange. Like um you know they did fine. They were ninth place, okay? But they were a couple of games away from playoffs. I don't know, Astralis just bought a device, so maybe they won't have money for the roster, but I think Astralis is not too terrible. They're fine. Spring season, they, they struggled very hard. I get that. Tenth place. But, you know, someone has to be tenth place. <laughs> someone has to be tenth place. Whipsco back in Europe would be nice. I think Whippo should jungle, please. Please, jungle, Whippo, I beg you, Whippo, jungle. Whippo, jungle, you are so good at jungle. Whippo, in one split, was the best jungle in the West. And had one of the best performances of all time. I'm gonna let you finish. But Whippo had one of the best performances of all time. Whippo, please. He just needs to play a role where he can leverage his knowledge. Making a 14-minute cap on the TP for it to be unleashed. Bwipo, you need to be unleashed before 14 minutes. Come on, man. Shen is not in the meta. Bro, Whippo fisted everybody. He fisted Elioya. He fisted Inspire. He fisted uh, Yankos. He fist. He did some good fisting. Some good stuff for me, man. Uh, the final thing I wanted to do, guys, on this voice of Yamato is that there was this. Um, so basically. There was this uh, Korean podcast. Someone posted it on Reddit. There was this budget. Uh, there was this budget a thing where you had sixteen dollars and you could make a roster. And I thought this was kind of funny, right? Uh, so we have this. We have this uh, sixteen dollars. You can make a roster. Uh, what was even funnier? Well, is the did look at the price. Look at the price of me here. I'm one dollar man. What's up with that, man? I'm one dollar. I'm one dollar, man. I'm one dollar, man. That's crazy. That is crazy, man. What's up with me being one dollar, man? At least you exist, exist on the chart. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. I will put put this in the corner as a reminder. 
Okay. So what are we doing with $16? First, we can also show you guys what they did. So in, in their assessment, so we have a roster with Alfari, Vettel, Kobe, Mac, and Labrov. And these guys do not have a jungler. So I'm assuming Mac is jungling. So this guy, don't let him be in charge of your budget. Don't let him go to the store to get ice cream. And then you give him uh, $20 and you should get change back because you will get scammed. This guy doesn't know how to manage his own budget. All right. And then we have uh, Song. Okay, Song, gangster. Okay. He went for a little caps. Dylan Falco, Unforgiven, Armutke, Treats, and Razork. I think uh, Caps Dylan, deadly combo, but uh, not super exciting. So this guy is so fucking smart, man. Look at that. He spends $1 on the coach. I think that's, uh, that's brilliant. He has uh, Odo, Perks, $2 for Perks. $2, man. He has Perks AD Carry. Brilliant. I like that. Young Hoon, Humanoid, Markoon, Oduamne. Now that's a roster, man. That is, that is a good roster. We like that. And then finally, we have Upset, Wunder, Xerxe, Nukduck, and uh, what's his name? Mercer and Joey Steltonpool. Okay. Who's the zero dollar guy? That's Xmati. <laughs> I don't know why they do him like that, man. They just, they just murdered him. Okay. So what is my roster? Okay. I'm going to pull this up. Uh, show you guys this. And this for reference. All right. Let's see what I can cook up with my own personal roster. So I think perks at $2 is... Fucking hilarious. Yamato, we need to have a coach. Boom. I need to make a bigger screen of this. I don't I don't see so well. Give me a second. Okay. What else are we doing? So Perks, we don't know which role we're sending him into yet. I think we just let's just let's just get a caps in there. Four dollar caps. Caps. Let's put a little caps in there. Let's put Xmati as a sub here. Zero dollars. <laughs> I don't know why they murder him like this, man. Xmati on the side. Where's Mickey, man? Where's Mickey? Mickey? Mickey, man. Where are you, Mickey? We're getting a little tromboner. Okay. So we spent already $11. Shit. $11. Just like that. 
We need the jungler. Elioya. $15. dollars $15 out. Okay, we have $1 to get an AD carry. We are getting... Hmm. Are we selling our coach? I think we're selling our coach, guys, to free up some budget here. We are selling our coach to free up some budget. Nah, at $2, we have to buy perks and just put them in there. So we, we have perks and Trimby that are going to work together. They're going to play together. We're freeing up some budget. Shit, man. Wonder a tree is also steel, man. We're going to try to make this work. We need Wonder at three dollars that puts us at 17 what can we do what can we do to trim the budget mm. Mm. what if i sell xmati for one dollar and then I have that extra one dollar. Maybe that's the move. We're currently at seventeen dollars. I sell Xmati to BDS for one dollar. You know what we do. It's just a little Yankos for three dollars, leaving it as a grand total of sixteen dollars, and we get to keep Xmati. Sell Xmati to NA for five dollars. <laughs> yeah, we just we just recreated G two from two thousand nineteen. <laughs> Where's Hilly? They didn't put my boy Hilly in this man. There's no Hilly. Okay, well that's it. Let's make this thicker so this is more visible. These guys don't need a coach, come on. Honestly, for this team, I'm I'm coaching this team. 
for zero dollars. Nice. That's nice. We like that. Very nice. Very nice. Guys. Are the $5 players too expensive? Yes. Yes, they are. Like, if you're in an off-season, I don't know if you would ever want... Like, basically, like, if, if you think about it subjectively, it's like... Would you pay more for Larson if you have access to a cheaper Caps or Humanoid? I don't think that's going to happen. Perks at $2 makes absolutely no sense. That is a freebie in the bank. Would you accept less money for a better roaster, IRL? I don't do a lot of roasts. Like, usually I order food or other people cook for me. Um, for me, like, in my calculation for how much time it spends, uh, how much time I spend to uh, cook, like, to buy groceries, to cook, to clean, to eat, that that's just not time efficient for me. It's not time efficient for me at all. So I, I just focus more on doing other things that provide me value. And uh, then... And then, you know, we will see. Alright, I'm just going to check Twitter for the Q&A. Uh, what is the strongest quality that you see in a League of Legends pro player? Is this certain quality university good for all esports games? As, as cliche as it may, might sound... It is just love for the game. If you love the game, you have an advantage. If you don't love the game, you're gonna you're gonna crash and burn. You have to love the game. That is the best quality. If you love the game, then you can spend time with the game. You can cuddle with the game. You can nurture the game. And the game will give you something back. And that is information, knowledge, skill champion pool, anything that you can imagine, you know? That is a very important quality. Another, like, second would be just that intuitive nature that you want to solve problems. If you want to solve problems and become better. So, for example, I am very fortunate because I have a very obsessive nature. Like, if I... I hate... Like, sometimes... It's like Alena, uh, my, my girlfriend, she, she wants us to play a PlayStation 5 game. You know? A PlayStation game just to relax. And I had to work so hard to disconnect my brain from, you know, it's like if I play a game, I, I want to min-max, I want to know every fucking detail, I want to do everything perfect, I want to 100%, I want to fucking annihilate it. I get obsessed. You know, there was this week when we were playing Divinity Original Sin, okay? It's like a co-op game. And for two weeks, I could speak about nothing about but this game. I figured out every detail of it. I played on the hardest difficulty. I need to figure everything out. I get so obsessed. I get insanely obsessed. Same thing about League. I am obsessed, but I love the game. 
I love the game. It's disappointing sometimes to play solo queue. Um, but because my idea and my vision of League of Legends is so much greater than what I'm experiencing in solo queue. And that's sometimes a disappointing thing. For example, yesterday, I was very tired with the game. But I love the game. When, when I am in a situation where I... Like, it's very rare that I feel that way about League of Legends. Very rare. Like, I, I, like most of the time, I really love playing the game. Even losing. I, I don't mind losing. But yesterday, it's like I had people going AFK. And it's like... That just kind of sucks. Your accent changes when you talk about different subjects. <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't know. I just kind of talk and I don't think too much about it. Uh, probably you can't tell who will leave or who will stay, so my question will be more simple. Will there be roster changes? <laughs> the fact that people don't know how to spell roster. Just yes or no will be good enough for me. On the other hand, I hope you all stay together as a team and work to become stronger. Uh, what I can say is that uh, Fnatic is an organization that strives to be uh, as competitive as possible. And uh, they always are incentivized to look at uh, any options to strengthen the roster and strengthen their potential within the game. So, can changes happen? They can. Someone asked uh, for my uh, semi-finals uh, predictions, but I already talked about that. Uh, Gary asks, how do you look back on your time in Fnatic so far, 2021 and 2022? It's, it's been quite a journey. Uh, I, uh, I have been in so many unique situations uh, with both rosters uh, that uh, I could have only uh, dreamed of experiencing. Um, it's truly been an experience. Uh, I love Fnatic. I love the opportunity that has been given to me. I've loved the pressure of the fans. I've loved the pressure of the organization. Um, and um, I have learned and, and grown so much, especially because, especially because I was exposed to so many individuals that have a massive, massive history within the game, and to see the differences and the likeliness between them, it is uh, truly, you know, the most important thing for me most important thing for me. I've got to work with Whippo, with Hilly, with Upset, with uh, with Niski, with Humanoid, with with uh, with Adam, with um, fucking uh, Razork, man. I'm worried now that I forgot someone. Upset, Hilly, Niski, Marek, Adam, Whippo, Self-made. I forgot self-made. My man self-made. Wonder. I love Wonder, man. You know, I worked with Wonder in the past. But I feel closer to him than ever, man. Wonder is such a, such a machine. He, he's, he's truly something else. One of a kind. Truly one of a kind. Pete. I was focusing more on players, but yeah, God bless Pete. He just had his birthday. Happy late birthday to, to Pete. But uh, I am eternally grateful for, 
for the, the opportunity I've had in Fnatic. And uh, we shall see what the future future holds, you know? And that's it. DJ Sam Matthews, you know, why not? <laughs> he always eat good food when he swings by in Berlin. Razork 2, man. The amount this, this player has grown is, is insanity, man. Rux. Oh, Rux and Bean, man. How could I forget Rux and Bean? Fucking Barbosa, man. Oh, man. You see so many brilliant people. Jizuki. But Jizuki was not a fanatic, man. <laughs> not looking at the playlist of, 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 my, of, of my history. Focusing on fanatic. Okay, we mentioned all the names, I believe, now. Well, I, I even remember, it's like, when I was joining Fnatic, okay, it was so chaotic, because I signed my contract, and then I got thrown into the... All of the drama of the previous year, I was, it was just... I was trying to piece it together, it's like, what the fuck is happening? What is happening? And then Whipple had the, the episode, the episode with, uh, with our Dominicus... And Torin, that was mental, man. He's like, oh, no, no, no. he's just talking about all the players, all the potential prospects of Fnatic. I was like, what the fuck is happening? What is happening? That was mental, man. Uh, yo, we're, we're not going through my history of players. We're only focusing on Fnatic right now. Like, my man... I remember the teams that I worked with in the past. Uh, that team was crazy. I remember I was playing normal games with Reckless. We were just spending time together, you know? He was just like, uh, you know, speaking his heart out with me. And, uh, you know, I was just there as, as a friend, you know? I didn't want to, like, influence him in, in any shape or form in terms of his decision in that offseason because, like, he was holding Europe by the balls, you know? Everyone was, like, holding their breath. All the AD carries were just waiting for Reckless to, to find his home. And he was choosing between Fnatic and G2. And uh, I, I just encouraged him to do uh, what feels best for him, you know? And from his perspective, after be losing to G2 uh, all of 2019 uh, and also all of 2020 it can be very enticing to, to go to, to, to G2. Yeah, honestly, Bwipo, Bwipo and Hilly could both be... Like, Hilly as a strategic coach would be insane. <laughs> the attention to detail Hilly has, there is no one that it comes as close to him. No one comes as close to him uh, in terms of his attention to... Uh, to details. Like, in terms of review in lane phase, hell is your man. Um, anyhow, I'm going to check if uh, Alana's ready. Alright. 
Yeah, I, I think in terms of the AD carry position, as as sad as it might sound, I feel like AD carry is probably the least impactful role. Might be the case. Yeah, I, I would say that it's like... AD carry is the least impactful role, but also the most punishing. Because it's the most obvious when the AD carry plays bad. It's very obvious when an AD carry plays bad. And when an AD carry plays great, it's also obvious, right? Because they do some crazy shit in fights, or maybe in lane phase. But in terms of, like, winning games actively... You know, I think the other roles could could find more impact within the games. It's it's like AD carries in terms of the game flow. So in terms of fights, right, that occur, they have a lot of power because most of the time uh, they are the ones that are strong and have like really big item timings, and uh, but but there's a lot of things in the game that want to cannibalize the AD carries. But in terms of the flow and the rhythm of the game and the decisions in the game, then jungle and support and mid are way more impactful. Way more impactful. What is the most impactful role? Right now in pro play, in terms of flow of the game, I would probably say it's like a toss-up between mid-jungle. It's a tough conversation to have because everything bleeds into one another. It's like, I begin to imagine, if like if I have a challenger mid laner and a bronze jungler against a bronze mid laner and a challenger jungler, uh, how is that going to play itself out? You know? I think that the mid laner is going to be in such shit spots that I can't really impact the game as the jungler. Unless I level 2 gank this mid or something, right? Obviously, this is a very extreme example, but this is where my mind went, you know? I think Hilly is a very underappreciated player. I think Hilly is a player that can... You know, I, I believe that, that Hilly uh, needs, you know certain personalities around him to really, you know, be that hilly that fucking dominates, you know? He has that in him. Hilly's a legend. Like the word GOAT is something that is so overused. A GOAT stands for greatest of all time. When someone says Hilly is a GOAT, then it implies there's multiple GOATs. And if there's multiple GOATs... And to be fair, I, I've also used the word GOAT in the wrong context. So I am not... 
I don't have uh, clean hands as well on this topic. But yes. Oh, a goat means the animal. That too, yeah. Faker is the goat. Bureau of the goat. They're fucking sant. More remarkably. The Valengason. Your appearance on SI was great. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. How would you balance Yumi? Uh, you inherently can't. Because if you... Like, basically... If you want Yumi to be balanced, you need to remove the adaptive force from her W and make her abilities stronger when she is out of outside of people and make them weaker while she's inside. I think what you do is you let Yumi eat other people while she's outside of people. She, you let her uh, make the queue faster while uh, you are outside of people and make the abilities weaker while you're inside of someone. And uh, that's it. Uh, don't reward her by being inside of someone. Why? Are her abilities stronger while she's inside of someone her Q becomes stronger when she's inside of someone why is that the case her E becomes stronger while she's inside of someone why is that the case she gives adaptive force with her W I don't like that some champions when they get access to additional adaptive force they reach the point of Killing, basically finding enough damage to kill, way too easy. You have like Kane, you have like Twitch Yumi is a common one, right? Because Twitch with that additional AD that it gets from the Adaptive Force is just too powerful. She also can get a second summoner for free instead of Flash. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's like half of what makes her very viable in, in lane, right? Hecarim as well with that bonus AD. Like they, they get access to AD that should be, you know, usually you sacrifice something to get that bonus AD in terms of your itemization. But Yumi, with Yumi, there's no sacrifice. That's the issue. So in my mind, in order to make Yumi more interesting, uh, make her abilities more powerful when she is not inside of someone and make them a lot weaker while she's inside of someone. So there is very clear counterplay and also very clear skillful expression with Yumi and you keep the identity of this Yumi fuck that just goes onto people and does, does fuck all. So the players that still want to play that way, they can, but but make it weaker and that's it
We feel that momentum is too powerful of a factor in BO5. That's because of, like, basically, that's because just, it's, it's like momentum is a thing because most people have a short, short, I don't want to say short memory span, but a short term bias. Basically, if you watch three games of League of Legends, EDG wins the first two convincingly. And then the third, uh, let's say DRX stomps, then the bias will fall in accordance to the most recent result, both for the players within the game and also for the players out for the spectators outside of the game. That is what momentum is, right? It's like making making the assumption that the most recent occurrence is the most true. I'm not saying that EDG won convincingly. No, no, don't get me wrong. I just I just thought of the first I the first names that came to mind. That had nothing to do with the series. Nothing to do with the series. My point is if team A versus team B, if team A wins game one and two convincingly and game three team B stomps, then the, your, everyone's short-term bias would lean towards a specific direction and that is what the momentum is and sometimes that result could have been driven by a decision right but then it's no longer about momen momentum because momentum is strictly mental right in this context momentum could also be that let's say we figured out something about draft that the enemy can't break and all of a sudden they need to open up champs that they didn't want to open up and it opens up this 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 game where you have a significant advantage could be the case right that is an example if a team is mental boom during a competition like worlds do you think the coach is the main responsible well i think it's it's a cooperation a coach's responsibility is to try to get the most out of his players but sometimes let's say i open up a can of pickles and there's only one pickle in there Maybe I'm not going to be able to create more pickles in this can. There's only one pickle. And I'm going to take that pickle out of the can and I have one pickle. Right? I'm not going to be able to create more pickles. So it's a cooperation. You are in a way just encouraging players and helping players finding their way to, to, to improve. During Worlds, did Hilly want to play Soraka? Was he forced? Uh, he wanted to play Soraka. He took the decision. So my point is, when you're working with someone, a player, let's say a player that's very prone to, to mental booming, that's just how he is, okay? You work with him to, to work on his weakness, right? But just because this player mental booms, that doesn't make the coach at fault, right? But, but coaches should be blamed for everything, but also at the same time not. They should be responsible for everything, but at the same time not.
the way I view my position is, I am the head coach of the team, so I'm responsible for everything. Anything that is bad that goes on in the sphere of my responsibility, I have the obligation to do what needs to be done to change it or demand that change within the group. So you are responsible for everything. The fact that Fnatic's practice was bad this year, regardless of the challenges I faced, the conclusion is, if the practice is bad, that's on me. If anything is bad, that's on me. Because the whole year, it comes, it comes down to the fact that I need to figure out a way to make it perfect. Blame is just a synonym for responsibility with a negative spin on it. It's like criticism and feedback. I'm giving you feedback. I would like to give you some feedback. Or it's like that, uh, that, that joke from George Carlin, I believe his name is, said in the past, PTSD, the word for it was shell shock. Shell shock. Powerful. Right off the bat. Boom. Now it's post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD. Post-fanatic world disorder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we ended there. <laughs> oh man, that was that was a fucked up thing to laugh about, but <laughs> I love it. Okay going okay thank you so much for joining me guys who do we raid to end the episode who do we raid who do we raid niski baba let's raid niski baba niski niski Raid Niski. Wait, is this the right Niski? I don't think this is Niski. I don't think. Wait, where's Niski? And let's raid Nile, guys. Let's raid Nile. Raid Nile. And it should be good for now. I just need to wait. Nagil. Well, I guess it wasn't cheap enough. This is as slow as I can go. Someone has to go for this, right? Right? This is kind of cringe. Yes. See you.